Hi, you're listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, where we bring you the rich life histories of the incredible men and women enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. Innovators, pioneers, entrepreneurs, geniuses. These are the individuals who not only shaped blues music, but paved the path for all forms of American music that followed. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is brought to you by the Blues Foundation. For more information about the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org. We continue the series with studio maverick Sam Phillips. It should come as no surprise that the man who invented rock and roll is enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. After all, where did Sam Phillips find the sound he was looking for? In the blues, that's where he found it. Even before that, the visionary producer was a bluesman through and through. Over the years, his little studio at 706 Union Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee, hosted the likes of B.B. King, Junior Parker, Howling Wolf, Ike Turner, Rufus Thomas, Bobby Blue Bland, Little Milton, and many other blues legends. His modestly funded record label went nose to nose with the big blues labels up north like Chess, Modern, and RPM. In fact, Sam Phillips' place in music history was cemented long before Elvis ever walked through the door. This is his story. Marion stood on the sidewalk of empty Union Avenue well past midnight. She looked across the dark street into an empty storefront. Then a neon sign sparked a life in the window, and three words glowed, Memphis Recording Service. Her eyes adjusted to the glare, and she could see him standing behind the neon, bathed in its blue light. He's beautiful, she thought, and out of his mind. Sam Phillips looked at her through the window and smiled. Marion remembered seeing a preacher with fire in his eyes. Sam looked almost that way, but it wasn't fire she saw in him. Sam's eyes had electricity. His eyes reminded her of Beethoven's eyes, soft but wild. Her heels clicked across the Union Avenue asphalt. Marion went inside. What do you say, he asked. It looks like something in one of your dreams, she told him. He laughed. You got that right. Sam twisted a cigarette into his holder. She thought to herself, this better be a dream. Where else could a man start a business with no plan, no model, and no demand? A fever dream, he said. She said, as I understand it, to have a facility where black people can make music. A laboratory, replied Sam. The sign was the last touch. For weeks, Sam and Marion had spent their nights after work in the little store on Union. They glued acoustic tiles across the ceiling. They painted linoleum floor tiles red and laid them wall to wall. They painted the little office seafoam green. They installed a control room. Sam rigged up the speakers. She watched him grow increasingly frantic as the work piled up. She saw his temperature rising. His skin turned red. Sam walked around the room, clapping his hands or throwing his voice to see how it bounces, he said. Sam felt his breath leave him. His heart pounded. His pulse smashed into his eyeballs. Pain shot through his chest like lightning. He could feel his spirit untying from his body. Sam sat down and tried to catch his breath. He was frying. His circuits were fizzing night after night into the early morning. Finally, the sign plugged in and painted him all over in cool blue light. Now it was real. They quit their jobs and came every day to the Memphis Recording Service. Marion sustained herself on love 
All I want is to make it possible for you to do whatever makes you happy, she said. Sam felt more of a need than a want. He needed the studio, and she was part of it as much as the acoustic tiles and control room. He needed her to cool the electricity. The electricity kept him up all night. While the rest of the city dreamed asleep, Sam dreamed awake. The electricity made him walk the streets. One morning, he told Marion, I heard a black man pick a guitar and pat his foot on a wooden box. The world's missing out on that, she joked. There's sickness in this country that music can heal, he said. Marion thought he meant electricity. She and Sam looked up at the sound of the front door jingling open to see a giant. He wore blue denim overalls and his jaw looked hard as a sledgehammer. He introduced himself as the Howlin' Wolf. Mr. Wolf, Marion said, shaking his hand. Wolf brought in a guitarist and drummer. Sam showed them where to set up. When the Howlin' Wolf cracked open that jaw to sing, he sounded like a tornado. Marion could not deny the entrancing rawness of Howling Wolf. She watched Sam in the control room while Wolf sang. Sam shut those wild eyes and sat absolutely still, more tranquil than she'd ever seen him. After the song, Sam opened his eyes like someone waking from a restful slumber. He looked cool and refreshed. Everyone stood still. Sam broke the silence. That's where the soul of man never dies, he said. Marion understood now what the music meant. It channeled his electricity, gave him an outlet to plug into. But more than that, Howlin' Wolf sang about the human condition. The music cut through color in a way that spoke to everyone. It was Sam's dream. Where the soul of a man never dies, she thought. Beautiful. She knew, though, that this was where a man's business would die if they couldn't turn soul into profit. When Sam couldn't find the right record company to publicize his discoveries, he invented one of his own. He hoped he'd be better off opening a new stream of income, keeping what cash his songs generated. The thing turned out to be another source of fees, licensing, copyright production costs. Marion could see the color rising in her man's cheeks. I need to walk it off, he said, and left. A walk-in arrived while Sam was out. Marion looked up at the boy, greasy, long-haired, almost frightened-looking. He said he wanted to record a song for his mama's birthday. Four bucks closer to salvation, Marion thought. She led him into the little studio and showed him the mic. She went back into the control room and set up the record machine. He started a slow ballad. The voice had a sincere tremble that caught Marion's ear. She flipped on Sam's tape machine to record a sample of the boy's voice that wouldn't be carried out of the door in five minutes. If you know anybody needs a singer, please keep me in mind, he asked Marion. She told him she would. The kid paid $4 plus a little change for his record, took it, and walked out. Marion grabbed the secret audition tape. She sat a second and wondered how to label the box. 
He walked past the window with his greasy mop of hair shining in the sun. Marion gave him a little nickname and jotted it down. Timothy Sideburns. After Sideburns split, Marion returned to reality. She tallied up the bills and counted the income. Sun Records stood on the brink of bankruptcy. But ever the dreamer, Sam came back hot about a new group off of Beale Street. They came in late that night after playing a gig. Little Junior Parker and the Blue Flames. Sam said, that rhythm is going to knock down the wall between the white world and the black world. But Sam found out the world wasn't ready. Great records like Howlin' Wolf's and Little Junior Parker's were never even heard on the white side of the wall. Sam and Marion sat at the coffee shop next door and discussed the business. Only she knew how bad the numbers really were. Had she not loved this man, she would have quit at the first skipped payday. As they took a booth, Marion could see Sam's skin going flush. She knew she had to take it easy. You're ahead of your time, Marion told him. Everybody else is going to have to catch up with you. That's a kind way of saying I'm not connecting, Sam said. Maybe I need to meet them halfway. But where, Marion asked, radio stations are segregated, record stores are segregated, nightclubs are segregated. How can the music ever change white folks without reaching them? Marion paused. And they have all the money, so why should they? Sam said, now if I could find a white singer who had a drop of Howlin' Wolf's conviction, we'd make a million bucks. Marion brightened up and nearly shouted, Timothy Sideburns! Standing in their little laboratory the next afternoon, Sam noticed something about Elvis Presley. The young man had the same quiet insecurity as the black singers who walked in. Elvis stood at the mic and strummed his beat-up guitar. Sam sat in the control room and watched, his eyes level with the kid's eyes, which barely made contact for more than a flash. Marion watched Sam. His color cooled from red to pink. As Elvis sang, Sam heard something in his voice. The kid was raw and real, all right. Strangely determined, too. He couldn't finish his song, but didn't let that stop him from singing Sam every one he'd ever heard. Sam listened for three hours, but had no choice but to send Elvis away. Another week without pay. Marion rode Sam to bring back sideburns. He can't get through a whole song, he told her. Meet him halfway, Sam. Let the world catch up a little. She had a point. And he got an idea. A country and western duo needed a singer. He got them together, Fourth of July weekend. Elvis, Scotty Moore, and Bill Black fumbled through a few numbers. Sometimes they sounded like the courage was just coming before crumbling apart, just like Elvis had in front of Sam last week. The three of them were a little too real and raw. Sam was beginning to fry in the tiny control room. He felt his heart pounding and called a break. Scotty and Bill leaned their instruments against the wall and grabbed cold bottles of Coke. Elvis stayed at the mic. He strummed his guitar and started jumping around. Bill picked up his bass and slapped the beat. Bill twirled the upright as Scotty flipped on his guitar and curled a few notes into the racket. Sam poked his head out of the control room. He shouted, what the hell are y'all doing in there? Just fooling around, Scotty said. Well, figure out what you're doing and find where it starts, Sam said. Well, that's all right, Mama. That's all right for you. 
Y'all got something there, Sam said. Only took three hours. Marion poked her head into the studio and said, All you need now is one for the flip side. Well, mama, she done told me. Papa done told me too. Son, that guy you fooling wish he ain't no good for you, but that's all right. Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Bill Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation, written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org.